Taco Tuesday, everyone. Welcome to the Heavy Hole. Okay, uh, that's I'm drinking coffee. It doesn't even go with taco. It's, it's, I don't even know what day it is. I don't keep track anymore. This is because this because it creates too many problems. The listeners the will show. never know when we're actually crafting. Yeah, nobody knows. We're like uh, Harry Houdini over here. You'll never know the secret. It's Big Will, not Harry Houdini. I fooled you. It's Big Will, aka Uncle Buck. Uh, just rolling with the flow. I'm a little grouchy. I'm sorry, Tom. It's not anything personal against you. I just miss Justin. Me too, AKA man. AKJ Wall. That beautiful and busy man. Yes. A beautiful and busy man. Yes. Much like the majestic leopard as it stalks its prey. Wow. How yeah. poetic. Like, you know what I mean? Like, or, like, like he's got that. a leopard print guitar strap. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, luckily for you and the listeners, I could probably fill you in as to how his weekend has been, at least. Oh, boy. Is is he going to be okay with you divulging that information? Don't we were, go, Don't go too deep. We were in the same t- party twice. One was <laughs> a wedding party. Oh, that's right. You guys had yeah. a little uh, wedding uh, skidoo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Who got hitched? Shout out to my brother, Patty. Oh. Getting married. Okay. Him and Samantha seem like such a lovely couple. Nice. It's about time. Very nice. Yeah. Uh, what a what a day. Beautiful. Marathon. Mm. A marathon of a day. Long oh, day. Beautiful uh, symbolisms of the flowers and eternity things and uh, wow. best men speeches and all that uh, stuff. Symbolic wow. by death just flashed through my head. Me too, oh, man. The entire Me album. Too. The entire <laughs> album just went and fast forward fast through forward, my mind yeah. when you said that. Yeah. Playing on seventy eight. Crazy. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Now, so uh, that was a long one uh, that we both went to, and then we went to a barbecue, and uh, oh, that's nice. it was the okay. same thing, but without the love, but rather aggression, or perhaps aggressive drinking. Aggressive as, drinking barbecue. <laughs> it turned into a nightmare. I'm thinking Pantera or something. Mm. It was like a Pantera music video, but or, most of the people there don't like Pantera. Yeah, or House of Pain. If, if you're from Long Island and you're walking up to the barbecue, and it's unfamiliar territory, it's a friend of a friend, cause I, you know, you don't really know exactly who's gonna be there, and you just hear House of Pain, blast, like vintage '90s House of Pain blasting, or Pantera. Just get in your car and go home and, and just listen to the Heavy Hole podcast in the privacy here. It's not going to yeah. be a good night. They don't want you. Turn around. <laughs> get yeah, yourself regar- a real beer. Regardless of race, gender, or, or political. They just no, don't, no. They don't they want don't outsiders. Want it doesn't matter what you are. Yeah, you, you don't have the, the, the tattoo that they gave each other with a coat hanger and a stovetop <laughs> when they were 15. Oh, my God. Shout, shout, to, out, to, shout out to Mastic Shirley. Yeah, just about to say that. Bing bong. All right. Okay. Will, tell right. me about your week. Listen. Uh, I did not go all the way out East Long Island, but I, I I did evoke gothic imagery in the wilderness. Oh, yeah? I came back beaten and broken, uh, searching uh, for the strength to go on. I um, quoted actual Danzig lyrics in conversation. It was a wild ride this weekend, and it's not even close to Halloween. My mother... Uh, in her attempt to organically decrease the mosquito and pest population in her backyard, purchased a bat house. That's pretty cool. Yeah. That's very oh, cool. Nice. Little guys. Let them eat the bugs. Is it the upside down joint on the side of your house? It looks a lot like a little birdhouse, but it's right. like, you know, the the entrance and the, 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 the architecture inside is a little different. Depends on where the hole is. Heavy hole. Yeah. It's uh, the bottom of it. Well, what was heavy was the 12-foot timber. You got to get those suckers up there. Mm. They're not low, 
you know, they don't, they don't, they, they like to get high up and then go to sleep. That's true. Yeah, it's, uh, it was, Absolutely. it kind of broke me down. I was trying to get this thing in the ground there and get it anchored properly, get up on the ladder and secure it, just for these little guys. Okay. Uh, so what I'm hoping is that they'll come through and, uh, you know, share in the abundance. And I can, at dusk, I'll go out there, I'll listen to the band Dusk, and I'll wear a Dusk and her embrace size 4X t-shirt if I could Is find there it. something you could do to lure them to the area to guarantee like some kind of fruit or like a, perhaps a, a, a flute solo you could play mm. that would bring the bats mm. in? I was out there before. I was playing uh, Aeternus from Norway. So yeah. Good. I didn't because, you know, Cradle of Filth, that was easy. That was easy. Too easy. That demo, that's easy. You know, yeah. You got to, the, the bats might have a little taste, you know. Yeah. Eight, mm. Something you know, given the wandering moon a little bit, you know, the wilderness. That sounds like more like a like a, I want I want the articulate bats. But yeah, so I was out there, and I'm looking up at this thing, and I'm and, you know I'm talking to my mom like mother, you know, can you hide them from the waking world? Can you keep them in the dark for a while? You know, hopefully they come through. And so that was yeah, that was basically my weekend and the Danzig, I just the gothic, yeah, you know. I, I was I was all over the place. I went up in my room. I listened to a little typo negative by myself with the with the black curtains closed. Right. It sounds like school. Crazy. It sounds like school is starting. Yeah, that's yeah, what it I, sounds. Like. Yeah, I I'm reliving uh, my hell of being a goth kid. I was never a goth kid, but yeah. So that that was my weekend in a nutshell. Um, uh, a, a dark wedding uh, of bats and architecture, um, but another wedding. Of dark, evocative, uh, dare I say, epic and gothic imagery, uh, with brutal death metal and black metal. The band Blood of Christ, formerly the Blood of Christ, out of Ontario, Canada, classic band with a long-running legacy. One that may be a little confusing with all the reissues coming out recently. We're gonna put it all together for you with guitarist Jeff Longo, uh, half of the brothers Longo that make up the core of this band throughout all their existence. We're gonna talk to him, huh? I uh, suppose you want him on the phone now. The bat phone, please, sir. Uh, this is Big Will from Heavy Hole Podcast, joined by my co-host Tom. Big shout to our co-host Justin, who couldn't be here this evening, but who could be here this evening is our special guest, Jeff Longo, guitarist of longtime Ontario epic dark metal band, if I said that correctly, Blood of Christ. How are you, Jeff? I'm great. How are you guys doing tonight? Doing fantastic. Excellent, man. Uh, we appreciate you being here, man. Excellent. I really appreciate you having me. Yeah, uh, and uh, Jeff... Uh, just if, for the listeners who may not be aware, um, you and it's your younger brother uh, is Jason Longo, the, the longtime drummer, right? That is correct. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. You, Jason uh, is the drummer. Yeah. You guys have kind of formed the longtime core of the band. Uh, so going back, we always ask about if people are from a particularly musical family. Are there, you know, are there other musicians in your family that predate yourselves? Um, and how you got into performing music or, or at least learning your instruments earlier on as, as a kid. So maybe you could just take us through that if there's anyone who steered you towards hard rock or heavy metal or just playing an instrument in general uh, and what it was like for you and your brother. Maybe one of you got into it first or, or something like that. I don't know. Absolutely. That's a great question. Um, <clears throat> my dad, when I was young, you know, like 
when I was like four or five years old, he would play Led Zeppelin and The Doors and Pink Floyd and Jimi Hendrix, uh, Fleetwood Mac, <clears throat> all that stuff on, you know, cassette and vinyl around the house. So I, I was right into Jimmy Page, uh, you know, as long as I can remember. I can I can't remember not being wanting to be just like Jimmy Page. Um, that that was my introduction to hard rock. Um, same with my brother. Obviously, we lived together. Um, my dad always wanted to play drums, but never got around to it. As far as far as um, anybody that was musical in the family, I have an uncle. Um, he's my aunt's husband. <clears throat> So he's an uncle by marriage or whatever. He um, was my first guitar hero, my uncle Rick. He had a Fender Telecaster, like a vintage one that he bought when he was a teenager. It was like a, I don't, I actually don't remember the year of it. It's from the 60s. Um, and, you know, he would, uh, he was also into the same music as my dad, like Led Zeppelin, the Beatles, um, you know, and anytime we were at his place, I'd ask him to see his Telecaster, ask him to play it, play it for me, show me some riffs. Um, and you know, if his, if my aunt would let him, he'd crank it up and show me some stuff. And that was it. That was my introduction. And I guess by default, I got into music first cause I'm the older brother, but, um, you know, Jason and I were along this journey together every step of the way. We had really close friends in the neighborhood. Um, Mark Capella lived right across the street from us. His older brother would take him down to the States to like, um, um, Oh man, it's just outside of Detroit. There was a big record shop. I can't remember the name of it. <clears throat> and they'd come back with all the newest, you know, thrash metal and death metal releases in the back in those the old school long box cases and cassettes. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, yeah. It was amazing, man. He had a, it was really good that he had an older he had an older brother because his older brother was quite older and he had his own car. He could drive, you know, he get a job. So we we'd get the stuff off him and. You know, back in the day, tape trading, we'd throw it in our boombox and record our own versions. And I, I basically, I, it's really strange to say this, but I skipped uh, Iron Maiden and Judas Priest. I went straight from hard rock to thrash. Like, it was, I think it was around 86 or 87. Um, Megadeth was the first thrash band I heard, and that was my gateway to death metal, you know, a couple of years later. So it was an incredible time amazing time to be a part of uh, a music scene <clears throat> and experience all that firsthand like just you know back when record stores still existed <laughs> like when you could go in and get the latest you know the brand new megadeth the day it came out and right. take the city bus back home for a half hour and in intent you know in extreme anticipation to get home <laughs> to throw it on and it was amazing so um that's just why it started you know we we wanted to play music for as long as we were alive and um just begged and begged and begged our parents to buy us guitars and drums and eventually it happened so and um you mentioned uh a, your friend who's who he and his brother would go to uh michigan i gotta credit quickly um Antichrist Magazine TV uh, YouTube channel did an interview with you, as did Dreams of Consciousness uh, YouTube channel. Uh, you know, I always got to credit my um, research, uh, and uh, so I know from that uh, you mentioned BMX biking uh, with friends in the yeah, neighborhood <laughs> and your and your brother, and that's where you guys. It just painted such a picture, and you said your first extreme band was Napalm Death, 
and you had your friend who would get all these albums with his brother from uh, Michigan um, across the border. Because I don't believe we've covered this. You're actually we're we're talking about your childhood now. Is it's in Ontario in Canada, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, we started out in Windsor, which is just south of Detroit. It's like you can see Detroit across huh. the river, right? It's a it's Windsor's just like Detroit. It's a motor city. There's a lot of car like Ford's there, Chrysler. Uh, I can't remember who else. You know, my family has a deep history there, right? Like my both of my all my grandparents lived there when they came to Canada. They came from Europe, right? So, um, you know, uh, my uncle worked for Ford's. I think his brother worked for Ford. Um, yeah, and then we moved up to London, which is a couple hours uh, east along the 401, which is kind of the major Ontario expressway. <clears throat> but yeah, we were always really close to the States. Like, even you mentioned BMXing. Once again, you know, there was a few pretty good bike shops in our town in London. But if you wanted to get serious, you had to go to Albies down in Michigan. And uh, that was where it was at. So I've always loved shopping in the States, man. I don't know. I'm kind of a shopaholic. So. Well, that's, <laughs> We're the best at it. <laughs> yeah, right. That's, I know. <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting to me. Um, it's not something I immediately thought of, uh, you know, for the scene back in the day that that was a thing because, uh, you know, obviously I never had to drive out of, out of state or anything to, to get a better price on CDs. So you would, you would t- take trips. I would imagine save up some money, take a trip down to Michigan to the closest United States record store. And I guess it was just a matter of distribution and, and uh, uh, the currency rate that it was just cheaper to get them here. It's a bit, it's that um, as well as um, um, what's the word? I don't know. I don't know how to express this. Maybe in Canada or Toronto or London. Actually, not Toronto. Toronto's a huge city. They had everything. But I wasn't allowed to go there when I was a kid. I don't know why. But anyway. That's why. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, where I grew up in London, there was a couple boutique, you know, underground record shops that would custom order stuff in. But if you wanted to actually walk into a record shop, and see the new Cannibal Corpse on the shelf or the brand new, you know, DSI on the shelf, you weren't getting that in London. Later on, it started to happen when metal kind of, you know, really exploded, but it was really expensive. Like even, I'll never forget this. I don't know if you know the Montreal death metal band called Gorguts, but they're, in my opinion, a legendary death metal band, just like Cannibal Corpse or Morbid Angel, you know, and they're from Canada. They're like Montreal is literally four hours from where I live or six hours back then from where I lived. And I had to pay like $35 to get their first album on cassette because it was classified as an import by Roadrunner Records. Like (laughs) 35 bucks back in like 1991 or 92 was a lot of money, especially considering the fact that I was going off my allowance or, you know, my part-time dishwashing job to pay for this stuff. It was, it was insane. Wow. So, yeah. I, I got to say, you remind me a little bit right now. I just recently read the book Metal on Ice by Sean Kelly. Um, he's a guitarist. I believe he's performed with Helix and a lot of other bands. But uh, he, he talked a little bit in that book about how for Canadian bands, getting an American record deal seemed more prestigious, um, I think, for those type of reasons of distribution and things like that. Well, um, yes and no. I mean, back then in the day, there weren't Canadian labels. 
like there was big like sony records and all that crap but that's not for death metal right like oh, yeah, they wouldn't even yeah. look at you uh maybe they will now i don't know but it's different now but uh back then it was like you know even being taken seriously as a music musician back then in canada was, was like you know we when we were very very first starting out we went out to try to find our own agent um which was kind of stupid in hindsight but anyway like the first guy we talked to was like you'll never get anywhere with that name <laughs> and i was pissed off right away i was like okay this guy's he had a stupid mullet and he's wearing tight jeans like fuck get out of here man <laughs> whatever you know like go represent you know i don't know uh what's it skid row or something because <laughs> we're obviously in the wrong office but it, it was i don't know getting signed to a record label regardless of whether it was underground or a major label back then was a big deal it was um it kind of was something that you had in your back pocket i don't know like you walked around like you're important or something huh. you know it's uh it was amazing but yeah definitely the european labels like nuclear blast um and earache back then and then the american labels like relapse and you know it was like a dream it was like we were, i don't i don't even know how to describe it it's like if you're a hockey player like you want to get on the detroit red wings it was like if you're a guitar player you want to get signed to relapse records you know yeah it was, yeah I didn't even back then. I didn't even really think about like it's advantageous because of distribution or whatever. I just thought like, you know, Gorefest is on Nuclear Blast, so we have to too. <laughs> yeah, you know, Carcass, what... Carcass is on Earache, so that's why Earache is incredible. Bolt Thrower is on Earache. It's like we have to be there. You know, like it was just you know Incantation who are like one of our absolute favorite bands were on relapse at the time i think they are again actually you know it was just like you picked up the new album from incantation you saw the relapse logo so you have you investigate the record label because of the band not the other way around so that's how it's always been for me i don't really i have mixed emotions or opinions about the music industry if you want to call it that but i i've never really been a record label chaser i'm more like what kind of content do they have? Do they have all quality bands or do they have all kinds of pop metal bands? I don't know. But yeah, the American labels always were prestigious to us. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> well, just it was just interesting uh, to me because I obviously don't know that side of it. But there's a couple of things there I want to go back to. You mentioned the band name itself, The Blood of Christ, shortened to Blood of Christ eventually. And I did hear from those other interviews in my research, you say that the inspiration was more one to create controversy and maybe offend people who were of a religious uh, persuasion. Uh, that's correct? That is absolutely correct. Um, that was the, the um, I don't know what the word is, man, inspiration back then, for sure. We don't subscribe to that now. Like we, I don't like, my my personal opinion is i i just want the music to be about you know the riffs and you know the feeling and getting in the pit and uh, just enjoying a really good live show or listening to the album and having it take you away to a place that is good for you like if you're muslim or christian or atheist or jewish or whatever you know i just want people to enjoy the music i i'm just kind of 
I, I don't know. I think metal in itself, anyway, is kind of like a brotherhood or sisterhood these days, like globally. And I think, you know, that should be the inspiration of your music as well, because it makes me happy. You know, I love playing guitar. I love playing my own songs. You know, I play more now almost than I ever have. Obviously not when I was a teenager, because I didn't have any responsibilities back then. So I could play six or seven hours a day and it didn't matter. But I love it just as much. And I just want other people to feel that, too, when they when they experience our music. You know, it's um, I you know. The feeling of metal still is kind of anti-establishment, and I think it always should be. Um, but I don't want to really, you know, hurt anybody's feelings, for lack of a better word. Well, so. I, I I definitely see that. I, I kind of um, uh, understand what you're getting at, I think, because... As you get older, we still appreciate metal, but I think what you what you view as the establishment, or what you view as maybe what you want to um, uh, rebel against in some way, uh, is different. And and the, and the kind of you know those those things change, um, and maybe it doesn't. You know, maybe it becomes uh, more of a personal thing as the years go on, and shock value definitely loses its its, um, its effect as you get older too. A lot of the time, but I thought the name Blood of Christ was great because. Um, regardless of any spiritual, uh, you know, thing people might want to infer on it, 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 the band itself, you've, you've captioned the band, I believe over the years, Epic Dark Metal. And it's kind of like, I've, I've talked, I believe uh, last week or the week before on, on the podcast about the movie, um, uh, Passion of the Christ, right? Right. And I was just, I was just trying to make the point that regardless of how people feel about religion or spirituality or even Mel Gibson, um, it's a it's a creepy movie that evokes so, some crazy atmosphere, and I just think the same could be said for the band, regardless how people feel about the band name. That being said, have you ever been mistaken for a Christian band? Uh, maybe maybe like even invited to a a, a, a a show of Christian bands, or I don't know, uh, anti-Christian metalheads thinking you're a Christian band and trying to uh, troll you for it. Anything like that? All of the above. I, I don't think we've specifically been invited to like an all Christian band tour or show, but I'm sure we've played with Christian bands. We've played with, you know, satanic bands as well. We've played with bands that are just, you know, we've played with, we've played hundreds and hundreds of shows. I mean, I'm, I know there's bands out there who have played more shows than us. I'm not like tooting my own horn, but you know, over 20, seven years or whatever it is you know the shows add up right so um basically my opinion is um unless you're like really fringe and some kind of super i don't know how do i say this hateful group (laughs) that's pro i don't know you know we'll we'll play with almost any band I i don't care you know, if you're a Christian metal band or an atheist metal band or a satanic band, it's all metal. I mean, one of my favorite albums is a Christian metal band. It's, they're they were called Mortification from Australia. Oh yeah, Schools of the Megaloth. That album yeah. is incredible. You know, but I just whatever. Like he's got his message. I just tune it out and enjoy the music for what it is. Like I I, I, I don't think uh, I think if bands hold themselves back because you know. Oh, I don't want to play with Deicide because they're satanic. Well, guess what? <laughs> you just turned down a huge show that's going to sell out. Like, stupid move. 
So, and I guarantee there's people in the audience that are going to enjoy you and your set, and they're not necessarily satanic. No, right? yeah, yeah. most yeah. people who go to the show, like, most people who go to see a deicide are there for the music, like you just said. They're enjoying it for the same reasons you said. They're not there to spread a satanic message. There might be a few who are, but does it matter? I, I'm not sure how... All right, I, I don't want to put any words in Glenn Benton's mouth, of all people. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just not sure how invested he is in converting anyone else to Satanism. It just seems more like entertainment at this point. Well, at this point, yeah, but back, it seemed more dangerous back, yeah. you know. But my perspective. Oh, I, I, I get it, um, Jeff, and I, I definitely agree with your perspective um, about metal being more of a universal thing, regardless. I guess what I was hinting at more, what I was trying to get out of you, maybe was if anyone ever. Uh, if there was ever a confrontational view by somebody else towards you guys, um, either Christians or anti-Christians, that that got the wrong idea about you, if there was any like funny stories about that, something like that. Oh, that okay. That is a good question. Um, I don't know. You know, no, nobody said anything to my face like that. We've had more things more related to when we were younger. Um, how do I say this nicely? A lot of people were. I don't know, jealous because we were like 17 and 15 years old and having, you know, quote unquote, some success. Um, we kind of got hated for that more than whether or not we're atheist or Christian or satanic. So that's been more of a thing with us. You know, it's kind of like, a, I don't know, it's not pleasant. <laughs> age age so. discrimination. Well, I, I got to say, because, you know, I, obviously I do a little research, and you have a YouTube channel um, with a, a variety yeah. of things on it, and there is some clips on there of you guys recording, I believe it was your first demo in 94 when you were te You look young, man. You guys look very young uh, in, oh, the, yeah. in the studio recording the demo. So uh, that's another thing I wanted to get at was there must have been, I mean, with your parents in the house, you must have been rehearsing quite a lot. That was just tolerated and totally cool. Well, they were at work, right? Because we'd get home from school at, I don't know, 3 o'clock. Uh, then we'd rehearse for an hour or two, and then they'd get home. And then we'd have dinner, and then I could play guitar by myself afterwards quietly, right? So, um, so you know, the odd time. They were really supportive in general. They were good about it. I mean, there were a few times we had neighbors that started calling the cops on us and complaining, and my dad basically, you know, he went to bat for us and told them where to shove it and we kept practicing in this basement right so they were, they were very supportive you know and patient with us so that's that's awesome dude and did i get this right that your first show you ever played was when you brought cryptopsy to your town that's 100 percent true that was an incredible show that was uh september 1994 okay we invite there was another local band from london called summertime daisies who we Mm. we're off and on friends with um uh but anyway yeah so together with them we booked the show mark and i used to tape trade and do all the kind of quote-unquote pr for our band for blood of christ and we just we we saw the cryptopsy demo on gentle exhumation which to this day in my opinion is still their best release um equal with their first album 
um, anyway, so we saw a review for it in Meat Magazine. That was a local mag up here in... Actually, I can't remember where it's from. I don't know if you've heard of it, but anyway. It was just a local zine called Meat Magazine. There was a re review of the demo, and the review was, like, you know, outstanding. So we're like, we got to check this out. So we wrote to the band, which it turned out to be Steve Thibault, which was the original guitar player, yeah. Riff God. Um, we we sent him a letter, you know, sent him our demo, just said, you know, we really, you know, we want to get the demo. When we got the demo, we checked it out, and it just destroyed us. Like we, we were, we were so blown away by it. Like we thought that that demo would infl influence the entire brutal death metal scene. Like we were expecting cannibal corpse to be influenced by it like it was uh, maybe a little bit naive because cryptopsy didn't have that kind of exposure yet but we were like waiting for the bleeding to come out we didn't know it was called the bleeding but and we were like having all these discussions like when they hear the cryptopsy demo they're gonna have to step it up and the next cannibal corpse is gonna be the most brutal thing ever <laughs> well it wasn't <laughs> it, it was a big disappointment but anyway so yeah so steve from cryptopsy was super cool and we just were like, we're like, let's just write him a letter and ask him to come here and play with us. And I gave him my phone number. He called me. We discussed it. They told me how much they wanted us to pay him. That was it. And they came down. And actually, we also reached out to Cataclysm, who was another huge influence for us. And they they were going to do the show as well, and they were going to headline, but something happened and they had to back out. So it just ended up being Cryptopsy headlining. And it was just like, it was a turning point for our scene in, in our small little city. It was just a really life-changing, extreme, incredible gig. Uh, and I'll never forget it. Like, it was just amazing. Wow. So, um, you, you mentioned Cataclysm. Uh, I, I got to ask respectfully, did you ever meet or perform uh, shows with them while Sylvain Howd was still in the band? Uh, yeah, we did. Uh, <clears throat> at least four times, for sure. Yeah, I, I got. I've always been fascinated by him. Obviously, a really uh, compelling frontman uh, for the band. I've seen videos, and um, you know, we, we all know that. I guess the story that he's had some struggles. I guess in 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 recent years and since he's left the band. But you know, that's why I say respectfully. Uh, but I just want to know maybe your recollections of him as an artist um, and, and as a person, maybe having gotten uh, a little bit closer to him than, than the rest of us. Yeah, sure. Um, well, before I met him, uh, I remember when the Mystical Gate came out on Nuclear Blast. I have a good friend named Mark. He wasn't in the band. This is a different Mark. We used to collect. We'd go to the record shops together. You know, we get all the latest metal releases. And I remember when we got that one, we just, we just, you know, we looked at the band picture and with all the lyrics and the imagery, we just had this feeling that Sylvain was the guy with the beard and the red hair. And we're like, that guy looks like a wizard. His vocals sound like a, like it's some kind of outrageous wizard or demon. And it has to be him. And we were right. Yeah. And I remember when I first met Sylvain, um, or Sylvain, I don't know how to properly pronounce it, I'm not French, but anyway, mm -hmm. um, it just was like this mind-blowing, weird experience. He was just really ex intense and 
vocal and over the top. Um, <clears throat> but uh, a cool guy, you know, I never, I don't know what happened later with their personal stuff. Um, but anytime I met him, he was a, seemed like a really good guy. Um, on stage, it was just like this out of body experience for him. From, for, as far as I could tell, I, I don't know what he was really feeling, but it was just outrageous. That's the only way I could describe it. Like he was just extremely dramatic and uh, like, I don't know, like if you, I don't know if you've ever seen an actor on stage, not in a movie, but on actual stage, like a theater. You know that traditional typical actor that always like waves their hands around and is really over the top dramatic yeah that's what yeah. he was like on stage like like he was casting spells on stage huh. it was just and his vocals were so intense and like unique and he had like eight different voices and could say a thousand words in a sec a minute and was ridiculous it was really amazing yeah yeah <laughs> i'm pretty fortunate i feel fortunate to have seen I mean, I'm sure thousands of other people have the same experience, but personally speaking, it was, I feel fortunate to have been there. It was incredible. Uh, yeah, he's become a bit of a, an infamous kind of um, uh, legendary personality in the underground death metal scene. Uh, so that's just why I wanted to ask for your personal recollection of, the, of that. And, uh, you know, the listeners, you can always go back and watch videos of that. Um, and I think it lives up to what you're saying. Uh, and, and that being said, while we're talking about all this classic kind of old school talk, we talked about you guys recording your demo in 1994 as teenagers. Do I have it correctly that you've been working with Craig from CDN Records of Canada since 94? Um, I guess in that capacity, maybe more as a distributor then. You nailed it on the head. Got it. Um, I first met him. I honestly don't remember Why? But we just went down to Windsor. Um, we met him. That's where he was from at the time. You know, he took, I don't remember, several copies. I don't remember how many, several copies of our demo, our Frozen Dreams demo, and just helped promote it. And through his network, Tape Trading, he got the word out. And he wrote us a bio, too. I still have it somewhere, the bio he wrote for, it, for us. And, uh, yeah, he was pivotal in helping get us exposure and, you know, kind of, work us towards being put on the map with our next demo he, you know and we've been in touch with him ever since you know we've done we had some other record deals but you know we we always seem to come back to cd and records and our past few releases have been with him and you know for underground bands you know if you're just a little boutique band like us send him your stuff he's incredible he's a killer guy works his ass off um, you know, he's going to get the job done. There's no BS with him. So I have nothing but the highest regard for Craig. Yes, yeah, certainly one of the longest running extreme metal labels um, that, that I, I, I know of. I mean, in general, not just in Canada, really, uh, at, at this point, he's been going a long time consistently. Another label, you guys uh, would put out the... Um, I believe two more demos after that, if I got it right, uh, before, actually three, you would put out three demos, and then the A Dream to Remember album was released in 97 on Pulverizer Records. Um, yeah, Randy Williams' label. Yeah, I, and I, I believe Randy has since passed away. 
Um, Are uh, you serious? I, I well, let me look this up real quickly because I don't I don't want to say the wrong thing, and we you know we can always. Uh, <laughs> I didn't hear that, but yeah, I haven't seen Randy. Um, man, I saw him the last time at Milwaukee Metal Fest, but that was like, I think it was the year that uh, Immolations Failures for Gods came out when they got the new drummer. They were there. I remember Immolation was there with uh, promo copies of the new album. Um, yeah, he was there with Flesh Grind. Do you remember Flesh Grind? Oh, of oh. course. I mean, now you're you're right in my sweet spot of uh, you know <laughs> late '90s brutal death metal. That's how I got yeah, into man. everything. We played a few shows with Flesh Grind. They were incredible. Yeah. Well, another person we lost recently, Rich Lipscomb of Flesh Grind. Yeah, um, yeah, I heard about and, that for sure. And I'm, I'm but look- I don't remember hearing about Randy. Yeah, that's well, too bad. I'm just but. looking up Pulverizer Records. It does say owned by Randy Williams until his death. It doesn't give a date, but um, I do remember. I, I'm pretty sure he, he's, he's uh, since passed away. So I just wanted to say that respectfully. But we did want to get your recollection because that label there specifically there was a Pulverizer Records compilation. Uh, that myself shout, shout to Paulo Pagun Talan, frequent guest of the show. He couldn't be here today, but. Uh, he he wanted to know a little bit about Pulverizer because it was a huge gateway for us into underground brutal death metal because it wasn't just you guys, but I believe Pulverizer was instrumental in putting out early releases by Dying Fetus and Gorgasm and a few other bands as well. Mortal Decay, you know. That's, yeah, that's true, man. They had, he, Randy had a lot of killer underground stuff. There, there's tons more than that. Um, too many to remember. But I remember the, are you talking about the compilation that he put out that had our song on it? Yes. he did more than one. Well, but yeah. the one we were on... Yes, was, it was the uh, one you guys were on, definitely. Yeah, I remember. I still have that a copy of that here. That's That got us a ton of exposure. And then, of course, when you know when he put the album out, it just it went through the roof. Like Today, that's still our highest-selling album. It was our first album. Like He got us a deal with Die Hard Music in Denmark, and they had distribution with... Um, man i don't know maybe phd or something like that they had huge distribution all over europe and asia uh, he and then diehard got it licensed in russia and it just snowballed it was incredible and then when it came time to do our second album i was talking to randy and he was just like i don't know i don't know if i'm doing the label anymore it's not worth it and then i never heard from him again <laughs> disappeared so then I saw him many years later at uh, Milwaukee Metal Fest, like I mentioned a few minutes ago, and that was the last I ever saw of him. So. Okay, well, rest in peace to him. Um, yeah, man. You know, it's it's not always easy to keep these kind of underground operations running, but that compilation, it's funny you say that that compilation got you exposure, because it's definitely how um, I and a few of my other friends uh, first heard about Blood of Christ uh, many years ago, and that album... Uh, a dream to remember. Now, that specifically, what a lot of people might remember, especially from that era, because you saw the ad, was right next to Gorgasm and Mortal Decay and Dying Fetus. You have the the, the cover of A Dream to Remember, which was a lot more. It was like a a, a very nice kind of uh, almost like a, I guess a gothic imagery kind of like a picture of a, a woman <laughs> with some maybe like a castle or some kind of runes or something like that. I don't I don't know how to describe yeah. it, but. Could you just talk a little bit to that element of the band and why you kind of veered away from the more extreme gore or satanic type of imagery and more into what people might associate more with, I guess, goth or doom music, for lack of a better term? Absolutely. I'm glad you noticed that and I appreciate the comment. 
we always well i mean you mentioned doom so cathedral my dying bride paradise mm-hmm. lost those are those are some of our hugest influences um disembowel from australia disemboweled pardon me um you know we never really did focus on gore or satanic themes in our lyrics we always focused more on uh, except for our first couple demos we were young whatever nothing wrong with that but when we kind of got our found our own sound which was which we called epic dark metal because it kind of you know we had epic songs or we felt they were epic they were lengthy they had a lot of time changes and moods and different riffs and quite often some of the riffs would never repeat um you know and we felt that there was a dark overtone to the music so that's just what we you know ultimately we know we're a death metal band and that's great i'm proud of that i love death metal I'll, i'll forever consider myself to be a death metal guitar player but we've always loved doom metal and black metal as well and thrash you know and we just try to in- incorporate all of our influences and not you know have any limitations or r- restrictions or r- rules on our writing right we just whatever comes naturally you know if we love it and enjoy it we lay it down you know we record it but um as far as the imagery goes we always kind of felt like you know we were a little bit different and our lyrical themes quite often you know dealt with uh human emotion human suffering uh, love uh loss stuff like that dark dark stuff right and nature as well um the way it ties into nature the way we view the world the way nature affects us um things like that and that's that's all it is there's no deeper meaning like we just one day i was in college with mark the bass player and we were walking down the hallway and actually he found it first pardon me and then he brought me to the the photography department and he's like jeff you have to see this so he brought me down the hallway and i remember just standing there and he's like look at this picture and it was on display uh with several other photographers work from the class right on in the hallway and her name was Roseanne Demore i believe um and as soon as i saw it i'm like we have to have it you know that that is our music like just that that you know like you said she looks like a model and she's like the femme fatale like you can't have her huh. and she's amidst ruins and i was a hopeless romantic back then basically and i just like i have to have that so you know the way i was back then i was like this like drill sergeant i didn't stop until i got what i wanted so we tracked her down we found her and we got the picture and that's it that's how it became the album cover and and it's actually also used on your second album right you're right i forgot about that <laughs> yeah well part I, of yeah the yeah. girl we kind of took her and had it edited in the background so it's like the continuation right there's the guy all depressed sitting there deep in thought you know thinking about the girl and she's just a ghost now she's gone the it, one that got away it's yeah well it's kind of haunting if you have both albums and something well something now here's this might be me doing a little too much as a fan reading too much into things but you have a message in the second album that says that that if i got all this right that um as the rain gently falls uh, anthology two, your second album it says that that is supposed to be interpreted as a continuation of your the lonely flowers of autumn demo as opposed to a sequel to your a dream to remember album is that correct 
Yes, it is. I'm surprised somebody read that. Well, That's exactly how I feel about that music. I feel like it was more um, similar to the Lonely Flowers of Autumn music as opposed to A Dream to Remember. I feel like A Dream to Remember was more uh, leaning towards death metal, whereas the second album was a little bit more adventurous, maybe. And in between that, you guys did a session in 98 that I think was recently released online, at least, that was, a lot. I think, in my opinion, a little bit more death metal and a little bit more um, uh, brutal, and, uh, like, and, and more of a mid-tempo, slow, doomy way. Yeah, interesting perspective, yeah. Yeah, we did. There was four songs, just a demo. Uh, Craig, CDN Records, did put it out on the, uh, he, he tagged it onto the Dream to Remember reissue back in... 2006 okay. i think it was okay i got it oh. okay yeah uh yeah yeah just well just interesting how there's different sounds represented and while we're talking about this we should also mention cdn records uh just like a, a week or two ago really just reissued um the 94 frozen dreams and 95 the lonely flowers of autumn demos remixed by dan swano um on cassette and cd yeah that's correct Basically, last year was the 25th anniversary for the Lonely Flowers of Autumn. Um, it's always been probably the most special release for me in my in my heart. Not to sound cheesy, but I think it's the one release that is absolutely the most indicative of what Blood of Christ is as a band, as our sound. Um, we've been talking about it for a while, getting it out. So... I felt like the 25th anniversary like was the perfect time, you know, just we've always wanted to have it out on CD um, and Craig loves putting bonus tracks on stuff. So we threw on the two tracks from 96, you know, and threw on the 94 demo and got it all remastered by Dan Swano. And there it is. Like, we're very proud of this release, very happy that it came to fruition and, you know, really thankful that Craig put it out. So. Um, yeah, and something we talked a little bit before about your proximity to um, uh, Michigan, uh, and and uh, while we're on the conversation of doom and the more slower doomy death metal influence that might come in there at some point, uh, I got to bring up something again. This might be me reading it a little bit too much, but I've talked a few times recently. I've been getting into the early '90s scenes in like Indiana, Wisconsin. Um, I don't know that I've been uh, diving so much into Michigan. But it seems like around those um, kind of northern Midwest United States uh, uh, regions that are very close to the Great Lakes in Canada, it was very prevalent to have this slow, doomy, atmospheric death metal. I'm thinking of bands like Afterlife, um, maybe even more to Scold in some of their more atmospheric parts, Dusk uh, from, from Wisconsin. I don't know that you're familiar with those bands, but would you, would you credit a regional influence um, to any of your stuff back then, like owing to any of that, that type of stuff? No. Um, I know more to Scald, but I didn't back in the day. Mm -hmm. um, the Doom for me came from England um, I, and Incantation, actually. I should give them credit. They have a lot of serious doom parts in their music. A lot of people, yeah. I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but I think people overlook that. Um, they were a huge influence for me on like slowing down and letting, you know, that creepy, haunting 
sound that they have when they slow down. It's just phenomenal. Um, but yeah, that that's where it came from. My Dying Bride, Incantation, and Cathedral. Old Cathedral. Like, Force of Equilibrium. Makes Those a lot. three specific items, for me, are Doom. And Black Sabbath. Pardon me. And Black Sabbath. <laughs> Can't forget them. Makes but, a lot of uh, sense. You know, it makes a lot of sense. Um, and now... When we when we talk about um, uh, the the doom influence and that sort of thing, uh, you you kind of mentioned the, the the album cover before. Something else I want to get into. Uh, another thing you guys do a little differently is every album is called anthology one, anthology two, three, and so forth. Is there is there anything deeper to read into that? Do you view the albums as not necessarily albums, or but they're just collections in some way, or is that just your own your own thing? I don't know. Yeah, I do view them view them as collections, and I view it as like um, uh, I guess you could look at them as several novels with chapters, and each song is a chapter. But I also view it like each song has its own life. Um, I, I don't think any two of our songs are written the same way or have the same inspiration, but at the same time, they do. It's it's I don't know. It's hard to explain, but. I just think of it as like it's just like this that album is uh, a time capsule of the band at that time made up of you know these several stories so it's each one is a collection of different stories but would that make sense it does make sense and does this play does the fact that um, obviously, like we said before, you and your brother Jason have always made the core of the band, but you've worked with different vocalists and bass players, at times even other guitarists over the years. You've had several people in and out of the band. Does that play into the idea of these songs being collections of different eras, too? Definitely. And having other writers to work with at different time periods in your life or career, whatever you want to call it, um guides the boat so to speak i guess like it it can affect your sound and what you come up with right like actually that's another thing i'm glad you mentioned that like this reissue of the lonely flowers of autumn kind of encapsules the entire era of our work with the singer jason deville at the time you know it's it's all packaged neatly together now that's everything we did with him um, that we recorded there's also unreleased stuff that we didn't record yet that he worked on with us. But yeah, I, I, I agree with you with what you're saying. Like different band members definitely affect the, the output, you know, that you record for sure. Uh, and, um, you know, while we're on the topic of some older band members, uh, if I got his name right, um, re respectfully, rest in peace to your former vocalist. Is, uh, is it Conan Bulani? Yeah, or Bellaney, Conan Bellaney, yeah. Conan Bellaney. Um, he and uh, another Greg Edas, uh, the bass player. Yeah, Edas, yeah. Yeah, uh, they performed on As the Rain Gently Falls in 2002. Um, and then I believe by the next album in 2003, Breeding the Chaos, uh, both members had left the band and Dan Hulse was doing vocals and bass, right? Yeah, that's true. Actually, Greg left much longer before. Greg left during the recording sessions of the second album, actually. Um, and we just completed the, his bass tracks were done, so we just completed it and, you know, obviously gave him credit because him and I, Greg and I wrote 
uh, and Jason wrote, you know, the material together. Um, but yeah, he he disappeared. <laughs> There's two sides to every story. I, you know, I'm not on bad terms with him, so I'll just leave it at that. But okay, yeah. Uh, then we found Dan um, to come in on bass, and then we toured, you know, with Conan still in the band. Did some touring and gigs and all that stuff with Dan on bass, and then some stuff came up for Conan and his personal life, um, and I I really don't exactly remember what happened, unfortunately. But you know, he had to leave the band. Um, it, we wanted him on the third album, you know, like we're we're pretty well known for having Conan as our singer. You know, we're very fortunate to have worked with both Jason Deville and Conan. Uh, Conan was, in my opinion, equally as legendary as Frank Mullen or Chris Barnes or the dude from Broken Hope, you know. Um, like, that guy, I kid you not, you could walk up to him and say, you know, read this sentence in your guttural vocals, and he could do it on the spot, on command, and you could you would be able to understand every word and it was like one of the most guttural natural death metal vocals i ever heard and he didn't cut the mic you know he did he just stood there like he was talking but <laughs> it came out like the most gruesome and guttural death metal vocal i've ever heard it was just incredible um you know and it's sad it's too bad like life takes you where it takes you you know he moved out to calgary eventually um and sat you know he had two kids he had a family and sadly he he got cancer and passed away and it was actually he was actually going to be coming to the band shortly before he moved sometime around 2010 i think it was we started rehearsing with him again um, but then you know adult responsibilities took over and work you know his day job took him out west and that was that so so it's too bad you know he was like a brother to us and we're very fortunate to have had him in our band so that's that <laughs> well we no i appreciate um i appreciate you sharing that with us uh we always like to know behind the scenes things and um especially you know it sounds like maybe a a, a metal vocalist that people can go back and check out from uh you know not only your albums uh, a dream to remember and as the rain gently falls um, but also uh, the band Heaven Ablaze, he did vocals on their 2005 album, Enlightened by Darkness. Just for the listeners, some people get, get new music out of the show. Um, they can I think he did more than one album uh, with them. Now that you mentioned I forgot about that. And actually, my brother helped them out on drums for a while. But uh, I totally forgot about that. So he was with them for quite a couple of years. Uh, well, I'm just going off of Metallum. So every once in a while, they, you know, they, they don't have everything on there. But that's something people could look into. Um, and rest in peace to him. Uh, and and another, something that I am getting at with this line of questioning right now is in your 2003 album, Breeding Chaos, um, I believe it's fair to say that you experiment a lot more with maybe more melodic, clean singing um, and, and more melodic uh, parts to the music, though you do keep the death metal and epic dark metal edge to it. Would you agree with that? Yeah, but that's not, in my opinion, a positive. I think we went too far out there. And it just didn't sound like a lot of Christ. And, you know, I've heard both. I've heard people say it's our best album and they loved it. And then I hear people just, you know, they like huh. hate it. So, and I don't like it either. 
Uh, and to be honest, you know, I wish Conan was on it, but life does what it does, whatever, you know, that's, that's the past, but we're actually working on that album right now. We're taking, um, I don't know, six or seven songs from it. That's basically the only, the reason we're not doing the whole album is because I don't have the masters for the entire album. I could only salvage about six songs. So we're taking those songs and we're also taking six songs from our fourth album and we're redoing the vocals for all of those songs and i'm redoing the guitars and we're going to remix it and remaster it and put it out as one kind of fifth album compilation album so i you know i just i don't like having albums that i have to live with for the rest of my life and you know i don't want to be on my deathbed and think i wish we did you know we reworked that album i hate that album so we're doing it now now's the perfect time because there's we can't we're not touring you know there's no shows because of covid i know shows are starting to come back in the u.s but i don't know if they are here yet so now's the right time so that's what we're doing with that album so to answer your question yeah we experimented uh we had like you know i don't even know how many eight vocal styles on it um there was some stuff that just was too far out there in my opinion so okay well that's that (laughs) fair enough um now after that the band goes into um a a period well not directly after that but i believe a few years later in 2006 you officially split up right uh not really we just kind of were in a hiatus like all right um i was doing another band called strings of aries my brother was playing in I don't know how many bands at the time. Will of the Ancients was one for sure. Drummers, uh, drummer, drummers always. Mullet Corpse. Um, he was playing in, but yeah, we were really busy. We were just kind of in a hiatus. We uh, we didn't have a singer at the time. You know, it was kind of just on hold. You know, I never quit. I never stopped writing. I never wanted to stop. Um, we weren't playing shows, but. Uh, Sometimes things are beyond your control, and I'll just, I just call it a hiatus, basically. Mm-hmm. Okay, fair enough. Um, and and something I I know more recently, your most recently, or one of your most recent releases, is the split with Vomit Remnants uh, of Japan on CDN Records. And I've heard you mention that you actually have a fairly long-running underground contact with uh if it's keisuke uh from vomit remnants i'm sure i got his name wrong no i that's how i pronounce it too i've never okay. actually talked to him on the phone or i don't remember i met him in person at milwaukee metal fest and i can't remember for the life of me how he pronounced his name but uh i say it the same way okay um but yeah i've i've written to keisuke before tape traded off and on for well i met him in person at uh Maryland Death Fest, I think in 2004. Yeah, that's so, I, I, I definitely didn't have any long-running friendship with him like you, but I, I got to meet those guys there, too. I saw them uh, perform at um, at that MDF in, in 2004. That was a great year. Oh, it was incredible. Um, I think Misery Index played that year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, man. I, I It's a blur. It was a great, it was an incredible fest. But, yeah, uh, I'm trying a lot I'm, of bands. I'm trying to not derail the whole conversation with my <laughs> recollections of that Mar- of that Maryland death fest. But <laughs> but yeah, well, I'm just getting at um, 
Uh, Vomit Remnants, oh, another one of my favorite bands. Um, uh, you know, especially you know being into New York style death metal and being from here, I always loved Vomit Remnants. They were the, one of the first international bands I remember latching onto that more East Coast uh, uh, American style of death metal. Now with Blood of Christ, um, they and they actually covered uh, some of Blood of Christ's uh, material on that split. Do you? Do you feel that Blood of Christ fits in with the, the the more like East Coast North American style of death metal that influenced bands like Vomit Remnants? Uh, great question. I guess no, but we have that influence. Like, I mean, you know, we loved Suffocation. Obviously, if you're into death metal, you love Suffocation. We love uh, Immolation, who's kind of East Coast incantation. They moved around a bit, but... You know, uh, internal bleeding. You mentioned them earlier. Mm-hmm. We loved them. Um, yeah, like we have that influence in our music. We have what we call pit riffs here and there. Um, but I, I, I think it's kind of like an apple and an orange. I, I think we're more. I don't know where I would position us to be honest, but I, 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 I think like there's fans that are those extremely diehard fans that love that kind of genre um that brutal death metal genre that probably would just uh not entertain us at all because we have black metal vocals or you know melodic riffs or stuff like that so i don't think we explicitly fit into that genre if that answers the question yeah no i just wanted to get your perspective because you guys seem like almost like a chameleon type of band like you could you could, you could, well, like you could play a bill with a lot of different types of bands and not necessarily stand out like a sore thumb. You know what I mean? Well, I like, appreciate you saying that. I, yeah. I take that as a compliment. I don't know if you intend it to be a compliment. Yeah, of course. That's yeah, that's fine. But, but that's flattering. Like because I kind of take pride in that. Like we've played with Opeth, you know, to their crowd, and it went over well. I, uh, you know, and then we've opened for Morbid Angel, which was one of the best days of my entire life, and. It was incredible, and it went over well. So, you know, yeah, I, I, guess, I think that's a positive, in my opinion. Yeah, that's that's all I'm getting at is I think there's something there for like the internal bleeding fans and the incantation fans, and and maybe even the uh, you know the cathedral and my dying bride fans. Who knows? Um, uh, but now, can you take us through? It seems like the band kind of gets rejuvenated, maybe maybe late 2016 or early 2017. Is that around accurate it's 100% accurate it was um, 2016 pardon me 2017 would have been the 20th anniversary of the a dream to remember release so it was actually recorded at the end of 2000 oh my god 1996 right so in 2016 I don't remember maybe halfway through the year my brother and I started talking about you know like wouldn't it be incredible if we got off this hiatus next for next year and played the A Dream to Remember album, you know, on a tour in its entirety because it's the 20th anniversary. And I was like, oh, oh my God, that's an incredible idea. Like, <laughs> you know, let's do it. So my brother and I just got together at the end of 2016, started practicing together again, rehearsing the whole album, uh, you know, and just snowballed from there unfortunately we never got around to actually playing the whole album for a tour um 
we just got sidetracked and wrote, wrote a new album instead. <laughs> so that's where that went. Well, fair enough, man. And uh, I believe you're talking about 2018's Unrelenting Declivity of Anguish uh, Anthology 4 on CDN Records, right? Absolutely, yep. And at that point, you were working with Mark Chandler of Ataxia on bass and Chris Gooding on vocals, right? That's correct. Mark also played with Mullet Corpse uh, with my brother back in the day. Oh, well, that's what I was going to ask, is how those two guys come into the fold at that point. Well, I, I, I had seen Mark play before. We I played with him in my other band, Strings of Aries, with Ataxia, right? And I just... I, I just was blown away. Actually, hold on. I met him before that when he played with, um, oh, man, they're like a kind of notorious underground death metal band. I can't remember their name. Or- uh, Orchidectomy, I think. Orchidectomy. Yes. yes, another great Canadian band. Yeah. Yeah, they had a sick vocalist and crazy drummer. Mm. Uh, but anyway, yeah, I I played with that band um, with Blood of Christ back in like 2004, 2005 in a small town called Cambridge, which is kind of around the Toronto area at a death fest down there. And they played and I just was like, who is this kid on bass? It was sick. Like I couldn't believe it. And I never forgot about him. Then I saw him again when he was playing with a taxi and I just like, this is nuts. This guy's nuts. So he was, when we started jamming again, my brother and I, he was the first name that came to my mind. And I'm like, can you reach out to Mark? Because you played with him in Mullet Corpse. You know, let's get him on board, see if he'd do it. And we just asked him and he was like, dude, I'm honored. I'm a huge Blood of Christ fan. <laughs> Sign me up, right? So that's just how that happened. Okay, awesome. Um, <clears throat> And... In in getting the the newer lineup together, I mean, it was you you, you told us about how it was kind of inspired by the anniversary um, of a dream to remember. But at that point, did you aspire to to write a new album and start playing shows again and get the band going full steam? Absolutely, I'm always writing. Like I write stuff every single day. Like if if I play guitar. I write something. I don't necessarily save it or record it or whatever, but I'm sure every other guitar player out there is like that. But I'm always itching. Like, I've got about, right now, I, I have these, book, these uh, I don't know what you call them, filing cabinets over here with all my tablatures and notations. I've got, like, three albums worth of stuff just sitting there waiting to be recorded, right? Like, And, and again, I'm sure every musician's like that, right? It's just something inside you. You can't. You know, it's like there's a beast inside me that was imprisoned. And as soon as my brother said that to me, like, let's get Blood of Christ active again. Let's do the Dream to Remember album. It was like this fire under me. And I just was like immediately writing, putting together which songs I want to be on our fourth album. You know, like without even knowing if we would have a lineup. I just was like, you know, and already sending my brother the demos. And yeah, for sure that was on my mind. And we love playing shows. So to answer that question without a doubt that was like one of the first things that popped in my head like yes absolutely let's do this let's get on the road let's play some shows because we've been a live band for as long as we've existed and we love playing shows we're a pretty tight live band i think people appreciate our set our performance and you know i, I really think you know 
there's two components to our music and two components to a lot of other bands like you know our albums have keyboards on them and acoustic guitars and layers uh, and that's one element of our music that's the epic dark metal right that's the kind of atmospheric creative element but then if you strip the songs down to the basic drums bass guitar and vocals you know essentially it's death metal and that belongs on stage and that's what we are on stage like you know just a stripped down straight up death metal band mm. so you know playing shows is uh, i haven't played a show in like almost uh three years now and that's the longest i've ever gone and it's just f really frustrating so i can't wait to get back out there again and it was like one of my immediate thoughts when we my brother and i started talking again so yeah absolutely yes to all three questions huh. Well, and speaking of your brother now, you know, we talked about how there's been different lineups and different members in and out of the band at different points. How has working with your brother uh, changed over the years? Because, I met, you know, you guys started out in the band, I believe, when you were like maybe 17, 14, around there, if I got it right. And now, obviously, the band has been around quite some time. How has the dynamic shifted, maybe in terms of writing, um, who runs the band, things of that nature, uh, between your brother and you? Great question, uh, and I'm sure I've always wondered this about other bands. You know, like a band like um, uh, Ridiculous. It just popped in my head, and I I only like one album from them, and there's nothing wrong with it if you like them. But the band U2, <laughs> they've been around for like what 40 years or whatever with the same lineup, and I've always wondered how did they do that? How did they keep that dynamic from day one to now? Did it change? Did it stay the same? You know. So, and with my band, it's been a roller coaster, to be honest. Like you said, when we started, we were kids. Like my brother was 14, I think, maybe 13 when we started. I'm not sure. And I was older. And at that point, it was my band, right? I ran the band. I made all the decisions. I told him what to play. Uh, I, I booked the shows with our bass player, Mark. We made every decision, you know? And we didn't take his feelings into consideration at all. So, you know, as he matured a bit and over the course of a couple of years, combined with a sibling rivalry, which is normal, you know, uh, and combined with the fact that we're both, you know, strong-willed and kind of stubborn, uh, it got tense. So things had to change, right? Like we had to adjust the way we write, adjust the way we make decisions, um, you know, and gradually, him and I started writing together as opposed to me just, you know, showing up, showing him the riffs and telling him where to blast and where to do double bass and whatever, right? Like it was a more give and take dynamic. Um, and I feel like that kind of, that makes the songs better. Like it's taken me a long time to really step back and look in the mirror and think like, you know, do I want to be a dictator or do I want to like really let this music evolve with other people's input and other people's emotion and see what it be can become right like so the the dynamic now is we both run the band we we both have you know our duties like one guy will do you know the business side of things one guy will do the pr one guy will do the you know the artwork or stuff like that whatever like one guy will handle the merch and the other guy will handle booking the shows. Uh, and we write stuff together 100%. Like, I might write all the riffs, 
but you know i'll send it, them to him without any drum tracks without any drum ideas and we'll pick and choose and go back and forth and make sure we both really equally love the the riffs right and then actually build them into songs together so it's definitely more of a like equal mature working partnership and it's way better and i think that shows in the the quality of music we've been putting out okay man one more kind of brother question here uh, obviously you guys agree on a lot of bands suffocation carcass i would imagine things like that what is like music in terms of music that you listen to music that you enjoy or something like that what's something you your brother and you do not agree on there's a lot actually um and there's nothing wrong with it right like everybody has their own opinion their own taste but you know are you just speaking about music or in general? Well, uh, yeah, I'm just thinking in terms of like, you know, you guys are both in the band together all these years, but like, is there like one band that your brother listens to that you can't stand or some some album that you always put on in the van and your brother's like, no, man, you know, is there like some, just some long running <laughs> discrepancy that you don't agree on in your CD collection? Yeah, I guess, you know, I'm looking at a Morbid Angel poster, so I'll use them as an example. I worship Trey. So for me... I lean towards albums, you know, A, B, C, and F. But my brother leans towards Domination. Hmm. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, with a band like Carcass, who we both equally love, Carcass is my favorite band. For me, it's like the first three albums, and that's it. Yeah. And the Tools of the Trade EP. For my brother, it's like probably the, al- the third album and the fourth album. Oh, man. That's that's a tough that that would ruin some family holidays for me, man. You're you're forgiving. <laughs> I, I have I see I I love the first uh, three Carcass albums. I really love the first two and um, uh, Necroticism. I you know I, I respect man. After that they kind of lost me. But before we get into a crazy debate about Carcass, uh, I think you satisfied the the you know the question there. It's maybe more like what you get out of certain albums and things like that. I like that you brought it around to Carcass and Morbid Angel albums because that's that is like a, a a debate that's come up before. That's those are both bands where people like different different eras for different reasons. We'll just leave it at that. Um, for sure, and you know all eras of those bands are equally great, right? But it's just like I remember where I was when I heard Heartwork, right? And it was it broke my heart. Like it just there was there was no vocals from Bill Steer. There was you know the progressive element was gone. The blast beats were minimal. It was just like it literally. It re- honestly, it broke my heart. I know that sounds yeah. crazy, but there was a point in my life where I wanted to get a tattoo of Bill Steer on my arm. Like I just huh, huh, huh. like you know I remember to the you know there's things in your life you remember. I remember when my son was born. I remember when I met my wife. You know I remember the first time I got laid. And I remember the first time I heard Carcass. I know exactly where I was, when it was, how I felt, you know, and it's just like, it was life-changing. Yeah. But Heartwork was life-changing too, in the wrong way. Uh. It was just like, what the heck did these guys do? But of course, you know, there's an entire genre of music now because of that album. And there's an entire base of fans that have no clue what, you know, the Rico Putrefaction album is, but they love Carcass, right? So it's whatever. No, no, no comment. No comment. I love Bill Steer too. No comment on any of that, any of that <laughs> album. But um, I feel the same as you, man. I'll just leave it at that. 
so, and, and, you know, another thing that just occurred to me, something you had mentioned before that just popped into my head. You talked about how you guys thought Cryptopsy would, um, their demo would, would influence Cannibal Corpse and everybody else because they stepped it up so much. Um, I think it just took a little bit longer, and it was actually, if, from my personal recollection, um, I, I remember None So Vile being the album that kind of set everyone in the death metal scene on alert that their drummer needed to step it up. And okay, you- well, see, for me, None So Vile is their heartwork. You know, wow. I love that album. Wow. I acknowledge the fact that it is absolutely outstanding. It's untouchable, but it's not the same as the first. It's a demo in the first album. It's not even wow. close. It's like night and day. It's um, part of it is because the writer, because the first album is Steve Thibault on like he was the main guy on guitar. Jonathan was there, but he jumped in like three weeks before they recorded the album and just threw down his solos. Then the second album, Steve's gone, but it's John doing all the writing who is an incredible guitar player and I wish he was still there. You know, the guy's mind blowing guitar player, like just unparalleled, super, super, super tight, you know, just, but I don't know. It's, he's just different. That's all I can say. This is really funny to me because I'm someone who does, who refuses to follow Cryptopsy um, as much respect as they're due as an entity, but I refuse to follow them past Lord Worm's initial run. So None So Vile is actually m- one of my classic albums from them. And then I don't really listen to Whisper Supremacy and, and Forward uh, that much by them. Wow, that- see, that's a great point, too. Like, it's that's another transition for them, right? Um, but, you know, Whisper Supremacy and, and then you'll beg musically speaking and no 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 i'm not saying anything bad about mike because he he's an incredible vocalist in his own right incredible person excellent stage presence but it just changed the band right like they get the riffs and the drumming on those albums are absolutely mind-blowing but it's just yeah. like mm-hmm. something's missing for me you know like yeah it, just it doesn't it, have that underground guttural feel anymore it would almost take like with, with mike DeSalvo on there like a rebrand would have been taken very well because uh, I think both of those albums are killer. Well, you can't, they I can't do that though, because that's no. right when they got signed to Century Media. No, of course. Right? I, you know, this is a, like this is a, this been... is a parallel universe where none of this shit happens. You know, we're yeah. sitting here going, oh, why was it called that? You know, but there's I mean, a lot I, of bands really that should have those. rebranded, you know, like Metallica, yeah. for example. Uh, but that's another story. That's a long debate right there. So. Yeah, no, I hear you. I'm uh, a huge fan of of uh, especially whisper supremacy there's something very magical about that album for me but like yeah they, they're totally different so the argument holds a lot of water yeah and it's funny because when you were talking about you and your brother with the morbid angel albums and the carcass albums you and me just kind of did that with cryptopsy man um yeah for sure <laughs> but that's you know that's part of what we do on the show we just talk metal man everyone's got opinions um you know we're not putting, well, I think, putting anything I think down that's I think that's one of the incredible things about metal is there's a wealth of like substance out there. Like, you know, we just talked about one band, Cryptopsy, who we both love, right? But for different reasons. And I think that's really cool, personally. A hundred percent, man. And, uh, you know, and me and, and the, the bands I've always been involved in, I've been involved as a vocalist, you as a guitarist. So it makes perfect sense. 
Um, and it speaks to how maybe if people, if you learn a new instrument or if you try to approach a band you don't listen to from a different angle, you might appreciate something different out of an album that you that, that you thought you gave a chance to, you know, or that you thought you knew. Um, For sure, man. Absolutely. Uh, so and uh, and Jeff, with that in, in mind, um, you know, we, we do want to be respectful of your time. Uh, and we we will give you the opportunity to plug uh, and promote anything that we failed to mention before we go. But we always wrap up the interviews by asking you to recommend an older and a newer album by any artists you like, metal or otherwise. And since we're kind of on this conversation already, I thought it might be a good place to, to, to go to that. Awesome. Okay. So I don't have anything to plug. I mean, you guys, uh, I got to tell you, man, you did re- you you didn't this was a great interview like you you know what you're talking about and well researched and i really appreciate that i think we covered like every single topic that would you know be critical to plug so to speak uh the reissues we talked about cdn records you know i'd like to plug them like craig uh, and his incredible support and you know unsigned bands out there brutal mostly brutal death metal check them out He's a really killer dude. Um, check out our reissues if you have the time, if you'd like to. Uh, if you dig it, that's awesome. Um, old album. What have I been checking out lately? We talked about Megadeth earlier. I've been listening to Peace Cells nonstop for like two weeks. Um, I hadn't listened to it in a really long time. It's it's literally the first metal, like thrash metal album I've ever heard. Um and I just kind of like rediscovering it, you know, with, I guess, you know, obviously your brains develop as you grow and mature. So you're not necessarily, you're the same person, but you also kind of have a different uh, viewpoint on the world and the way you perceive things. And the album is just blowing my mind. Like it's night from 1986 and I don't know. I feel like it's overlooked. It really stand, gets, you know, what's the word? Rain and Blood and Master of Puppets kind of cast a shadow. But I think this album is equal to those. It stands alongside those, you know, uh, with confidence. So that's one old album, uh, you know, that I recommend. If people, I'm, sure, <laughs> I'm sure most metal fans have heard it, but, you huh. know, if you haven't, Check it out. It's phenomenal. Um, I've also been blasting War Master by Bolt Thrower, like mm. nonstop. Classic. It's, uh, I think their second or third album. It's from like 1991. Yeah. Um, Bolt Thrower is one of those bands that they're one of my absolute favorite bands. Um, I feel like they had integrity that was unparalleled by any other band. Like, you know, they stopped making new albums because they didn't want to repeat themselves, right? Like, who has the balls to do that? Uh, you know, sad that their drummer passed away. I was very fortunate to see them shortly before he passed away. And one of the best shows I've ever seen. So, War Master by Bolt Thrower. If you've never heard of Bolt Thrower, um, what are you, doing? you know, if you've never heard their albums, it's incredible English death metal, you know? it's pummeling the guitar tone is so sick it's just huge i can't even describe it it's the only tune to like c sharp or something like that 
but it just sounds so gruesome. It's beautiful. Um, new stuff. Great question. I hope I don't get hated for this, but I really like that Rivers of Nile band. Um, okay, yeah. I don't know. Like, when that album came out a couple years ago where Owls Know My Name. Yeah, very interesting um, album. Yeah. It just, like, popped up in YouTube. And I was like, who is this? That album cover is killer, right? That's what attracted it to mm-hmm. me, attracted me to it. And it was, like, a Dan Seagrave artwork, which is incredible because, like, when we were kids, it was like, you know, Edge of Sanity, Morbid Angel, you know, endless bands had Entombed, Dismembered. They had album artwork by, you know, Dan Seagrave. He was kind of like, do you remember earlier we talked about, like, the... Um, record labels back then right like i can't remember the words you used but how they were like oh, pre- yeah prestigious it was it was yeah it will be in the pre-internet age certainly too you know that was you know they had they had a lot more of a gatekeeper type of quality to whether your band was known you know exactly and the artwork was like that too like it was just like who is dan seagrave you know mm. it was just so it was an enigma and his artwork was so you know, incredible and kind of a critical part of the whole package. So that's what attracted me to that album. It just popped up in YouTube randomly. I don't know why, because I don't listen to, I don't know, is that deathcore? I don't know what they are, but they're, I don't listen to that genre. I mean, they're and, they're, uh, they're modern death metal. I, I wouldn't call them yeah. a deathcore band. I think they get bunched up in that scene because they have like, I think they play with seven strings, super down tune, but they're death metal. Uh, I, okay. they're, they're more of a yeah. modern death metal band, but I think with this album that you're talking about specifically, that's where they kind of broke genres. I mean, they, you know, that that's more of like their. If you listen to their material prior to that album, it's a little bit more, uh, maybe you know, maybe just modern technical death metal, so to speak. But that album, where I was know my name, they kind of broke out with a lot of different stuff going on. So, okay, that's really interesting because I haven't checked out their previ- previous stuff, but when that thing popped in on YouTube. I was like, what is this? Wow, album cover is amazing. I pressed play, and I listened to it from start to finish on the spot like twice. And I just yeah. was like, this is incredible. That I felt like that album was the type of album where, you know, if that came out in 1986 or 1991 or 92, it would have blown up like, you know, Morbid Angel's Covenant or Domination or Cannibal Corpse's The Bleeding or... Who knows? Maybe even Master of Puppets. You know what I mean? It was that type of album. Like, that's just the feeling I got from it, and I still love it to this day. So it's not necessarily a new album. Um, You mentioned that they broke out or changed genres. I've checked out the new singles they put out, and it kind of was, like, disappointing compared to those albums. So Or that Owl album. But, uh, yeah, I think they're a good band. I think they're a good new band that people should check out. I mean, I'm sure people already are, <laughs> but um, I don't know. What about you guys? What new <laughs> stuff have you uh, been checking out? Oh, we, we we there's too too many to go on. Stay on the line. We're gonna clo- <laughs> we're gonna close the interview off for the listeners, but let's hang out for a the bit. Guests, talk the, about the, the, right, the guests usually don't flip this one on us. Yeah, <laughs> I, I never got that before. <laughs> now I know what it feels like when they flip it on us, man. 
But, Jeff, we got you here now, uh, and we appreciate all the conversation, man. I'm glad we got into more of a down-to-earth metalhead conversation as fans, too. We always love to talk about what we're listening to and what's cool, man. Um, and just to recap, CDN Records recently reissued your uh, 94 Frozen Dreams demo and the 95 The Lonely Flowers of Autumn demos on CD and cassette. Uh, you're working on lots of new material, as we understand, uh, and um, uh, we're looking for other stuff that might be coming down the pipeline, hopefully as the live music industry opens up for you. Um, any any final uh, just words for uh, listeners of your music and fans of our show or anything else you wanted to promote? I think we've honestly covered everything, man. Like, <laughs> you know, I really appreciate anybody who's been ordering the reissues. I hope you enjoy them as much as we do. You know, the remix... Uh, I think it gave it a nice fresh take on the songs. Like you can hear them a bit more clearly. Um, yeah, you know, check it out on cdnrecords.com. And hopefully, you know, we can, uh, when things get back to normal, I hope everybody's safe and healthy. You know, I'm not going to get into conspiracy theories about whether or not the China virus is real or not, but something's happening and I hope people are okay. And, uh, when things get back to normal, I hope we can get out on the road and, you know, come down to uh, play in your city and get to other places. You know, we've actually never played in the States. We've huh. we've had, like, over 10 shows booked in the States. We've been booked on Milwaukee Metal Fest. We've booked on a, a Death Fest in Cleveland. We've been booked in New York City. And it's like we're cursed. Every single one got, you know, fell through. Like, we got kicked off the Metal Me- Milwaukee Metal Fest. In 97, same year that Century Media signed uh, Cryptopsy after the show. Um, Kicked off? Yeah, man, we got kicked off the show by the promoter. I mean, was there, I don't know if you want to go into, but I mean, was there some kind of acrimonious uh, situation? Uh, Well, Randy got us on the show, Randy Williams, and um, I wasn't... I'm just. I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus. I'm not going to say names, but I was not handling the co- communication with the promoter, and I should have been. Somebody dropped the ball and did not respond to the promoter's uh, requests, and like the show was coming up, and it was like maybe two weeks before the show, and they called me and said, "Where the fuck? Where the? Can I swear? I don't know. Where yeah. The f- oh yeah. Yes, go for yes, it." Yeah. Okay, so where the fuck are you guys? I haven't heard from you in almost a month. You know, I he was waiting to hear back on some certain details. I don't remember what. And I said, dude, I don't know. I wasn't supposed to be handling this. Like, we're still coming. We're playing. We're ready. And he's like, no, you're not. This is the most unprofessional shit I've ever seen. You're off the show. Don't ever think you're playing Milwaukee Metal Fest ever again. And that was that. Wow. Damn. That was a that stung, man. That was a, you know... In 1997, I don't know what it's like now. I think it's coming back, I heard. But Milwaukee Metal Fest was it. You know, yeah. it was yeah. it was before Maryland Death Fest. It, it was like, you know, our first album, Pulverizer Records. We're on the same label as Dying Fetus. You know, uh, Cryptopsy's going down. They're playing. It was just huge. You know, there was a buzz around us because of Pulverizer Records. It was the right scene. It was the right moment. And... I'll never forget that, you know, like it was a big uh, mistake and I still think about it to this day. So that's that. 
But, you know, we've been wanting to play the States for a really, really long time. Um, and it's, for some reason, it never happens. I don't know why. So, we'll see. I really hope that, you know, when things get back to normal, I hope everybody's okay. And I hope we can, you know, as as fantastic it is, as it is to talk to, you know, Will and Tom, and I really appreciate it, for me, where it's at is getting on stage and seeing connecting with the people in the pit right like and hopefully oh, we yeah. can see you guys at a show and you know we want to get back to that so no we're definitely hope. no substitution for a live show man <laughs> yeah it's it, it, <laughs> you're, it, you're just as much fun though guys seriously <laughs> we, well we appreciate it man but we want to be what people listen to on the way to the show again uh, you know, we, we miss live music just like anyone else, man. And um, and we hope that you guys get to travel all over the United States. Tom had to pop open a beer on that one, man. He missed the show so much. Uh, we, <laughs> we But we hope you guys get to play all over the United States, including our own Long Island out here, man. Um, uh, whenever we can get back to a more productive live situation, man. But, uh, Jeff, thank you so much for your time, brother. And uh, all the best to you and your bandmates. And we, uh, again, urge our listeners to go to CDN Records for all things blood of christ at the moment so thank you very much man i appreciate it Okay, thank you very much to Jeff Longo, guitarist of Blood of Christ from Ontario, Canada. We appreciate his time uh, telling us the whole story there. That was uh, that was a lot. Yeah, funny enough, I had a friend text me who's not really into any heavy music um, until recently. He's older than me. He's never really listened to anything. He's, he's, rediscovering he's, Megadeth. He's never heard music before. Never heard music once. At all. Actually, okay. no, he's a professional musician. Uh, oh, well, uh, but. But he stayed away from some heavy stuff, and then he was texting me today. Uh, he rediscovered Megadeth. He had heard it nice. in his teens and was just like, oh, my goodness, this yeah. is what I do now as a 37-year-old. And I'm like, this is okay. sick. This is good. Right. So Megadeth, shout out to them. No judgment. Um, well, you know stuff. How, who, unrelated to this conversation, I also had an interaction with before. Uh, Jeff Longo, before talking a little bit about you 2 Oh. And you too. Yes. I don't know that I mentioned for the listeners or for you, Tom, that I was walking up to the front door today to come do the podcast yep. of the uh, of the Salt Ranch. Right. And who greets me at the door but your dad? Yes. Shirtless. A, a, I, a second time. I dropped my bag and I took a fighting stance. Right. I I didn't want it, but I you know I just I wanted to be ready for it. They call him Salt Lee. Yeah. Oh boy. Uh, yeah, he, luckily he was, he was, uh, in a peaceful demeanor. He came, I said, how you doing? He was a nice guy. Nice guy. We actually struck up a little conversation, uh, about U2. He loves you he, too. He informed me that U2 was actually a Christian band, yeah. but just not marketed that way. You got to read it into the lyrics a little bit. Right. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. I, just, I thought when Jeff Longo brought up U2, I yeah. just thought, you know, stars are aligning. You know? They are. Yeah. I was really just happy I didn't have to fight your dad. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people are. He's been around. He's, yeah. yeah. He's done the fights. I, I get it. Right? Shout out to Mill Basin. Yeah, I get it. Okay. 
okay? I, I, I don't want the beef. I actually was going to ask you, can I sneak out that window? I can get you out there. Okay, yeah. We got, well, you, you still have the cans of uh, the spam. spam yeah, that, I'll clear them out. I'll get the, you out. Well, no, because we might need to rub the spam all over me to fit me through that window. Mm, all right. It's going to get a little gross, but I okay. got to get out of here <laughs> safe. Is, yeah, I'll okay. take care of you. Don't worry about it. All right. It. I got to escape nat my predators I got in a natural fashion. <laughs> by by yeah. shoving meat all over your body. Yeah, much, much like the elusive uh, hippopotamus. Ah. Yeah, avoids the lion. It's, it's going it's, it's to be, oh my God, what are we even doing here? This is why we need Justin back, because Justin gets all the silly banter out, and we don't get silly. We, yeah. we, we, we're too busy trying to reel him in. I know. There's the fishing reference for Justin. Listen, we missed Justin tonight. Shout out to him. He'll be back. Uh, all the best to you, kid. But uh, since he's not here, I'll tell you to go to Heavy Hole Podcast. I'll tell you where to go. I'll tell you to go to heavyholepodcast.com. You want a shirt? You want a patch with the Heavy Hole Podcast logo on it? They're sick. I can't help you with it, but the, mm -hmm. but the, 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 the website will help you. Yeah, I'll bring it right to there. Yeah, you can enter all your information. We're not going to steal it. You can trust me, just like Jake the Snake. A la carte. Yeah, uh, yeah, a la carte. You can also go to, if you want some uh, bonus content, a la carte. You can go to Patreon and support us on Patreon. We'll get a couple of bonus episodes out there. Um, uh, what, we got what some more stewing up. By the yeah, way, we've I, been a little slow on the Patreon. We owe some apologies. Probably by the time this is out, we'll be up to date. We're going to catch up with a few. I have quite a few that I'm working on. Uh, all, you know, Behind the scenes, I got new technology. I got a new computer. Tom's helping me set it up. We got a microphone. We're trying to streamline the heavy hole process. So that's what's going on. Yeah. Please, please excuse the technical difficulties. Yeah, it's coming. It might even be sorted out by the time you hear this. Renovating so. to serve you better on this Tuesday night. Just, just like the Burger King up there on One Ten. Oh Rick boy, Avenue. they're renovating to serve you better too. But listen, uh, Tom, when it comes to podcast guests, when it comes to podcast hosts, uh, we got two formidable men here, and I, I hope we did the job. Uh, is no the question what, how many of them are enjoying a taco Tuesday at the moment? If he's sitting at home eating tacos, then we got to talk, man, because this guy <laughs> bailed on us tonight. What's going on? It's, one, right. it, it's only one because we're here doing the work. That's right. It's motherfucker. <laughs>